I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Uh, Joining me today is Dr. Brian Lima. Dr. Lima is the author of Heart to Beat, a cardiac surgeon's inspiring story of success and overcoming adversity. College medical school and 10 years of grueling surgical training is what it took for Brian Lima to become a leading heart transplant surgeon, literally able to breathe new life into critically ill patients. Not only has Dr. Lima never shied away from a challenge, but he has also spent his life actively seeking them in pursuit of seemingly near impossible goals. Now, Dr. Lima shares his story, giving everyone, not just aspiring physicians, the tools and encouragement needed to be their best selves. He's completed his medical training at Duke University and the Cleveland Clinic, published nearly 80 articles in peer-reviewed medical journals, helped launch the first and only heart transplant program on Long Island, and was awarded the Dr. Charles H. Bryan Annual Clinical Excellence Award in Cardiovascular Surgery. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lima. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's a very impressive resume, which is what we're here to talk about, I guess. (laughs) Like, (laughs) can we emulate you, and how do we do it? That's what the book is about. Um, so I guess the first question is, uh, why did you decide, not why just did you just decide to write the book, but why right now? Why at this time in your career? Sure. It's actually been something I've been working on for a number of years, about five or six years. And, um, I felt like there was a lot that I could share from my journey, um, with others uh, to help others see that uh, even though things may seem, uh, you know, seemingly insurmountable, uh, as long as you're willing to put in the time and the work, um, you'd be surprised what you can pull off. And that's what, you know, my life has been all about. So uh, I just felt increasingly, uh, as I finished my training, and I kind of came up for air, so to speak, for the first time uh, and kind of looked around. I was like, wow, you know, um, not that uh, my examples may be a bit extreme, but you know, there's so many people out there that really aren't giving themselves the benefit of the doubt and doing uh, and chasing their dreams. So that's what I really wanted to do with this book is encourage others to do so. Well, you absolutely did that. And let's start with your person. Let's start from the beginning, really, your personal story, because you didn't come with a silver spoon in your mouth or heredit, mm-hmm. you know, monies that were inherited or all those kinds of things. You came from a very different background than that. Um your parents were Cuban and came here as immigrants, right? Cuban immigrants. And so, right. mm-hmm. yeah. And so humble beginnings, I would say, would describe your, your uh, upbringing. Definitely. Definitely. It, um, I really didn't have, uh, in my immediate surroundings, either in family or in my community, uh, role models that I could, you know, professional role models that I could point to and say, uh, I want to become, so-and-so or, or like that person. But but I did have uh, a very, very encouraging parents who, who instilled in me a very strong work ethic and encouraged me to look beyond sort of our immediate uh, setting and surroundings and, 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 you know, look up to the stars and say, you know, nothing, if you're willing to put in the work, um, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy. Uh, it's not going to be fun necessarily, but uh, you can do it if you're willing to. It's it's not just something uh, reserved for, you know, like you like you mentioned to uh, people that are from affluent families or with connections. It's it's all about who's willing to put in the work. 
And apparently, in your book, you write about in eighth grade, you sort of had this, this was a defining moment for you because you weren't necessarily doing your very best up until that point. But uh, talk to us about that, because I think, obviously, defining moments are very important. Yes, it was it was a heavy, a heavy moment for me uh, at that age. It it totally transformed my my life and how I moved on from there because it was the first time that it dawned on me that uh, what you do, how you do it, the choices that we make, they matter. And if you choose to just kind of coast along, uh, don't expect great things to happen. And so that was, uh, I confronted that, you know, at this ceremony where uh, all of a sudden, my buddy, who we grew up together, he's also from an immigrant family. Uh, we're actually really close friends, and uh, he worked harder than I did. And it showed because he got called up on the stage many times uh, with, for award after award. And I just felt feeling ashamed. Uh, not that I, I just felt like I hadn't put in my effort. And so it, it just was a, such a horrible feeling because. It's different now, you know. If you if you know you did your best and, and still it still fell short, that's much easier to stomach. But to know that you you didn't really try, uh, to me, was a feeling I never wanted to experience again. Which, I, from that point on, I don't think that you did. However, how does this come into play? Because people always talk about this, like they say, "Well, okay, you you're a surgeon, you're a heart surgeon, uh, you do heart transplants. You have to be a brilliant, brilliant person to be even to think about accomplishing this." And you say, "No, not necessarily true. Yeah, you have to have perseverance, and you have to have motivation, and all of those kinds of things. Do you have to be a genius?" No, absolutely not. I joke uh, and say that if uh, when I talk to medical students, I say that if you can tie your shoelaces, you already have the skill set to become a surgeon. And like pretty much almost anything you can think of, it's all about the reps uh, or the 10,000 hour rule, putting in the time, doing things repetitively. And that's really, and, and heart surgery is no different. It's being, you know, going through the successive steps like so many, you know, countless others have before you, and it's stepwise acquisition of knowledge, of skills, and and sticking to it. And there are periods where you fail, where you fall short, but just continuing to just trek along um, is really what it's all about. It's just perseverance, putting in the time. You don't have to be a genius. I mean, obviously, there's got to be, you know, there's a great quote from Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, uh, when he talks about this concept. And he says, you know, basketball players only need to be tall enough. You only need to be smart enough. You don't have to be the smartest or the tallest basketball player to be successful. Uh, but as long as you have that, that, that minimal amount of uh, requisite skill or knowledge, not, you know, that, that's all you need. So then it's just putting in the time and effort. Yeah, you have to be just smart enough. I, I, I when I was reading your book, uh, Ross Perot used to say that too. He said, "I wasn't, I was not a genius to become a billionaire, but I was smart enough." And enough. sort of, yeah, and described a similar situation to yours. Actually, I mean, you just have to mm-hmm. keep on. You have to keep doing it. You have to be motivated, um, and. I think that I think that's uh, an important issue. I know that uh, you know. Also, in in reading your book, I thought, I, I mean, I come from a different background. I have a a very comfortable background. My father was a lawyer, uh, mm-hmm. so things were easier for me in some cases. 
that sort of has a reverse effect because you're too comfortable and you don't have the motivation necessarily. And I see a lot of people in that those kinds of situations as well. You know, I'm comfortable enough, so they don't do what they could do or and don't push themselves. Um, that's just kind of the reverse of your experience. Absolutely, and I saw that. In my first, I first came face to face with with that. Uh, in in college, you know, went to to Cornell, you know, Ivy League school, where I was surrounded by uh, kids from, you know, the the best school districts in the country, you know, the, the, the elite, elite, yeah, elite academies, private schools, and things like, and things like that, and um, had everything, and then then they get to college, and it's almost like a letdown, like okay, we're here. And for me, it was, I had so much riding on it. I, I, I was, it was such a long shot. And there were so many people from where I came from that uh, doubted this whole thing. That they, they thought this whole thing of me leaving to go to some school far away was crazy. <laughs> and uh, I just could not allow myself to prove the naysayers wrong. And so I was very, very motivated to continue to push the envelope. And I did see other uh, students who just were content with with just coasting, and uh, that that speaks directly to what you're referring to. Yeah, complacency, complacency, complacency. Is, yeah, as you describe it, um, is not a good thing. Uh, no. So yeah, so uh, but you had some, and because you, you really reveal a lot of personal things. Your brother is schizophrenic. Your mm-hmm. parents didn't get the kinds of medical care that. Uh, that uh, if they had, they may have lived longer. Right. Uh, yeah, so there was a lot of uh, grief, adversity, all of those there. So talk to us about that and how that impacted your choices. Right. It, um, I talk about in the uh, in my chapter on ambition, how ambition is a, it could be a driving force. And sometimes when you're faced with adversity or major setbacks, uh, where you're really on the verge of of just uh, calling it quits, that you just you don't you just can't move on. That you have to have you know sources of inspiration that can provide that 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 boost, that ambition to to get you through those points. And for me, it's definitely my you know upbringing, my the memory of my parents. And it, it it was it was tragic for me because they gave so much of themselves, put themselves you know put our family first or you know their their children first and really did not uh their health came second and and also because of the language barriers the cultural barriers they didn't know any better they didn't know that you know that you should see a doctor every year for your checkup and have you know cancer screening all the things that you know is is totally standard of care they didn't do any of those things and so what things that could have been prevented things like cancer and heart disease or managed better they just never um, never, never got it taken care of, and so they they had tragic, premature ends to their lives, in my opinion, and uh, that that bothers me a lot. I, I feel like um, that can't be in vain. They sacrificed so much for me, so I have to make it count. And that when I'm really in a bind or really you know down, that's what I think of, and that's what you know helps me take the next step and get back on the horse. That's great. So that's what motivates you to to go on when things get really mm-hmm. difficult. Um, sure. th- you know, that being part of your personal story, one thing that also struck me because I think this is really 
critical or key today. You talk about the reason people don't, the reason why we as a culture and don't do certain things or don't accomplish things or are afraid to go ahead, even in the face of adversity, is this sort of inflated sense of danger and how that affects us. I think that really is an important point that you make. This uh, sort of fear-mongering that's happening around us. We're terrified of everything, whether it's the coronavirus or opioids. <laughs> I can go on. We all know the list, right? Yes. it's uh, We're so afraid of failure. We're so afraid of um, what could happen, you know, the unknown. Uh, we're, we're addicted to certainty uh, and wanting to, you know, avoid at all costs the embarrassment of, trying something and failing, so then we just don't try at all. And that's uh, become front and center in our society, and many people talk about that, that even though we're arguably, objectively, in the safest, living in the safest time uh, ever in human history, uh, we're f- more fearful than ever uh, in human history for, for all those reasons. And it holds a lot of people back. Um, in addition, you know, because of the technology and social media, uh, those that fear is magnified even greater because uh, if you fail, uh, it's good. Everyone's going to know about it, <laughs> so uh, you can't avoid that. So that also adds to it and and, and makes people less uh, willing to go out on a limb and try something um, because they're afraid everyone's going to find out. So how can we avoid that? What do we do? Give us the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I talk about it uh, jokingly in, in some respects on, you know, how do we conquer other fears, right? And uh, we start by almost getting desensitized to it. I joke that I have this, uh, I'm definitely afraid of sharks, <laughs> for example. <laughs> and if I was really hell-bent on conquering that fear, well, then I, I would, you know, gradually, you know, over time, uh, keep increasing my exposure to the point where I wouldn't, uh, that fear would be attenuated. And, and it's, this is by no stretch of the imagination an easy thing to do. And in some cases, many cases, in fact, you, you may need to see a, a therapist or, or, or get professional help, which is completely fine, and many people do it. And you shouldn't be, that shouldn't, the need to do that also shouldn't hold you back from conquering your fear. Um, but whatever it is, uh, over time, getting professional help if necessary is just uh, debunking that fear, getting desensitized to it, getting confidence in yourself. Um, again, the repetition aspect of it comes back where you, you don't make so much of, or you don't catastrophize as much. You don't perseverate on what could go wrong and you just keep moving forward and try your best and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I, um, if more of us could, are able to do that. One, uh, another thing that you talk about is no regrets allowed. Uh, that's one mm-hmm. of the lessons that you share with us in your book. Um, uh, but it is difficult not to get stuck on our mistakes, our mistakes, our mistakes. You, you've touched on that. But um, no, it, it's really difficult to, and you've obviously conquered that and you've explained it. So no regrets are, we just have to keep pushing forward. But we, don't we have to also understand why we made the mistake and where we came from, and, and then we can go on? Yes, and a lot of these things uh, are much easier said than done, but it is important if something happens um, or th- something doesn't go down the way you want it to, uh, a disappointment, a failure. 
then really you try to take from that experience what you can to get to become better so that maybe you don't repeat that mistake. Do whatever you can to whatever morsel of uh, improvement you can find from that experience and move forward because what's done is done. You can't undo it. And perseverating on it is not going to help. It, it, it's just you're just going to be spinning your wheels. And the more you can condition your mind to um, to not let uh, it, it sort of go off on it, you know, and just perseverate on that and obsess over that failure, the better off you'll be. Because you know that was yesterday, today's today. Uh, you can't control what's already happened, but you can control how you react to it, and you can you know control how you move forward from it. So uh, that's what I emphasize in that chapter. Yeah. You also emphasize ambition. And that's what we actually have been talking about. Ambition, ambition, mm-hmm. ambition. But the word ambition does have a bad rap, bad name. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I would say, why does it? And how do you specifically define your ambition? Right. I mean, uh, I I jokingly refer to ambition as uh, it could it could be a weapon of mass destruction. Right. It could, it's a very very powerful tool, and because it's powerful, you have to wield it responsibly. And in general, I would say that it whatever your ambitious desires are, they should not just be about you. Meaning. Uh, making you rich or making you famous or it should be it, it's got to be a, above and beyond just you to make uh, either the the people around you close to you or the world in general a better place and i think that is a good a useful gauge uh i i talk about how you know money comes and goes and money doesn't buy happiness so if if your ambition is predominantly just a selfish pursuit of fame and fortune it's it's not it's going to be unfulfilling in the end. Um, and so that's, I, I think, a useful way to distinguish good ambition from the bad ambition that we don't want. That's that's, that's not going to lead to anywhere great. But in the process, you emphasize uh, the importance of building a personal brand, being very competitive. Uh, so how do you do that? You, you want to be competitive. You have a personal brand. That has kind of a marketing thing. Um, so... In the context of what you're talking about, you want to do, you want to do good things for yourself and your family, but also for the, uh, for the world. So, how do you do that by developing a personal uh, brand? I think that's yeah. Right, and I, that was a one of the last things, and and, and it's and so near the end of the uh, of the book, as far as one of the final or lessons that didn't really come to me until I was really finishing with my training, and it has to do that with. Uh, once you've gone through and put in all this effort to to arrive at that that goal that you had um, of becoming uh, whatever it was that occupation or dream job that you you were looking for, and you get there, um, things don't stop. Uh, I, I trained for ten years, but it doesn't mean that I can kick up my feet and say, "All right, I'm here." You know, it's great. Let's where are all the patients? Who? Why come? How come I'm not? You know, how come my schedule isn't full to the brim with referrals? You have to, you know, market yourself. You have to uh, get out there and um, show folks, prove to others that you, you know, you are worth. Um, not, you know. Even though you put on all this time, it's not an automatic that success is going to be there waiting. You still have to make others aware of what you bring to the table and nurture that. 
and it, it's it's another area where complacency can derail uh, success because it never stops. You have to continue marketing yourself and and what you bring to the table. And good advice. So if you want to if you want to make a difference, you do have to market yourself. Um, you do have to get out there. Um, and probably, it, and I think you mentioned that in the book, just given, you know, you're a doctor, you're a physician, that doesn't necessarily automatically come with your personality. I mean, there are people there who just, it, it's sort of inherent in what they do. Not so much maybe with, with a physician, for instance. Um, so you have to, one would have to work on that. It doesn't come easily. Uh, it's definitely not a natural skill set that I had. For example, I they ne- it was something never spoken of in, in medical school or anything. It was so, it was one of those things I, or, you know, it was a rude awakening. I concluded at the end of all that training, I was like, wow, I actually have to be sort of an entrepreneur here. I have to sell my. I have to go out there and sell my brand and and make others believe that I'm a worthwhile physician to send their patients to. Uh, And that was a very tough um, transition for me because I had always assumed, I never thought of it, you know, all the way through like that. I thought it would just be an automatic, you finish your, you know, whatever schooling you have and requisite training, and then you get there to that job, whatever it is, and that's it. Then then you're set. It's it's automatic, and it's not. So... Mm. As you say in the book, you have to get that MBA. Maybe that's the next step. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, in the final chapter, uh, let's talk about that because that kind of is a little bit different than the rest of the book because you do talk about heart health, and that's important mm-hmm. too. I mean, you are, uh, and also I, besides the heart health, I want you to just talk about transplants because there are the statistics. What do you say? A hundred thousand people are waiting for transplants and only 58% of people actually sign up for it because they're afraid that somebody, they'll let you die sooner so they can get your heart. And that's not true. Let's talk about, we've got a couple minutes left. Talk about that. Right. And so it all relates to um, heart failure is uh, is extremely deadly and uh, more deadly than many cancers, yet is not thought of in the same way that cancers are. Uh, people's ears perk up uh, and, they, and they, get, they get very nervous when they hear cancer, but heart failure doesn't seem to garner that same level of, of, of concern. And uh, that's what that last section of the book is about. And, you know, more people are going to die. You know, one-third of all deaths are related to heart disease. And so heart failure is a major, major issue, and it's vastly undertreated in our, in our communities. And it's, it's becoming more and more um, uh, apparent to an increasing number of people. So uh, eventually, uh, in, in a significant percentage of folks that have heart failure, you get to the point where medications alone uh, will, will not you know, fix the issue. You need to actually consider uh, hitting the reset button, so to speak, and and having a heart transplant or, uh, you know, a mechanical substitute for the heart. And the problem is that if you can get, just like cancer, if you get it to it early, it's largely curable. you, You know, you get the cancer before it spreads. Same analogy, I would say, applies in heart failure because if it if you're referred too late uh, in the process where you already have damage to other parts of your body, other organs, then what could have been a life-saving curative heart transplant or heart pump it no longer is, is feasible because you're too sick for it. And I see that you know, weekly where patients just get to us too late 
And if there's one thing that I try to emphasize whenever I have the opportunity to is that uh, the sooner the better. Uh, any diagnosis of heart failure really should perk everybody's ears up just like it does with cancer, and they should see a specialist to make sure that uh, they get to us early enough. I think that's a really good point because it is true. I think people are more, for whatever reasons, maybe because cancer has that image of eating away at your body, are more fearful of cancer mm-hmm. than they are of heart disease. Uh, it, it, heart disease is cleaner. It feels cleaner. It feels there's something about it, and maybe and that's why people wait longer to take care of themselves. I thought that was a really uh, important point. Two minutes left. Uh, obviously, we want people to go out and get the book, Hard to Beat, A Cardiac Surgeon's Inspiring Story of Success in Overcoming Adversity. Uh, we've been talking to Dr. Brian Lima. Um, Dr. Lima, just give us a couple websites that we can go to. Uh, this sure. is a chance to market um, yourself. Well, we've been talking about it. Yes. Uh, so the website's <laughs> easy. It's www.brianlimamd.com. Uh, that's... Um, that for on that website, you'll have direct links to uh, to purchase the bur- the book either through Amazon or Barnes and Noble, um, and or you can just go directly to Amazon and Barnes and Noble and, and search for the book that way. Hard to beat, and uh, it's a wonderful book. Uh, if I must say so myself, uh, it, I poured out my heart and soul into it, but I think it really can um, help people reach their full potential. So I encourage uh, everyone to read it. Yeah, I, I think the, because you did pour out your heart and soul and you talked to us about all the intimate details of your own life, that was very helpful in providing guidelines for the rest of us. Thanks so much for being on the show Thank today. Thank you. Good luck with the book. Thank yep. you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 